Hey, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today's episode is all about codependency. The word codependent gets thrown around a lot these days, but what does it actually mean? And is it really all that bad? Now, if we're all being honest with ourselves, we've all been in some type of codependent relationship in our lives. That's because codependency is essentially an extension of our common humanity, of our willingness and desire to help someone else in need. Like anything else, it's on a continuum. A little bit of codependency here and there might not be so terrible, but when taken to the extreme, it can actually hurt the person who you're trying to help and you. Some estimates suggest that over 90% of the American population demonstrates some level of codependent behavior. Does that statistic surprise you? In today's show, I'm going to define exactly what codependency is and give you a chance to take a quiz that will help determine whether you are or ever have been in a codependent relationship. We're going to break down the causes and signs of codependency and talk about how to break free from these patterns establish healthy boundaries, and experience balanced and fulfilling relationships. Then I will answer all of your questions about codependency and give you tangible tips and tools to break free of relationship dynamics that may be holding you back in your life. Consider this my codependency healing masterclass. Let's start with a definition of codependency. While there is no single universal definition of codependency, most clinicians agree that a codependent person is someone who changes their behavior to support the unhealthy behavior of another person. Codependency can be defined as any relationship, including spousal, family, friend, or coworker, in which two people become so invested in each other that they can't function independently for any sustained period of time. Your feelings, actions, thoughts, and identity are defined by the other person. Generally, in a codependent relationship, there is a giver and a taker. This means that there is one person who is more passive, in need of constant help, and who has trouble making positive decisions for themselves, and a more dominant person who gets some reward and satisfaction from either rescuing or even controlling the other person, in essence, to save them from themselves. According to Mental Health America, codependency is a learned behavior that can be passed down from one generation to another. It is an emotional and behavioral condition that affects an individual's ability to have a healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. It's also sometimes known when it's extreme as relationship addiction, because people with codependency often form or maintain relationships that are one-sided emotionally destructive, and at times even abusive. This condition was first identified about 10 years ago as a result of years of studying interpersonal relationships and families of alcoholics, but its applications are much broader than the substance abuse population. Originally, codependent was a term used to describe partners in chemical dependency, people living with or in a relationship with an addicted person. Similar patterns have been seen in people in relationships with chronically ill individuals. Today, however, this term has broadened to describe any codependent person from any type of dysfunctional relationship dynamic. 
Now, listen to these questions and be honest. Do you agree with any of these statements? Does your self-esteem hinge on your accomplishments or what you do for someone else? Do you feel overly responsible for people and try to over-caretake them when they have problems? Does saying no to people cause you stress or anxiety? Do you find it difficult to hold boundaries with loved ones? Do you react easily to the feelings and behaviors of those around you? Do you often put other people's needs ahead of your own? Do you spend a lot of time thinking about other people, what they might be feeling and thinking, and especially what they're feeling and thinking towards you? Do you feel uncomfortable or empty when you're by yourself for too long? Do you need those you care about in your life to behave in a certain way for you to feel okay? Do you fear rejection and abandonment by others? And if you haven't heard from someone you care about in a while, you wonder what you did wrong to upset them? Do you make excuses or compensate for loved ones' bad behaviors or try to cover them up in order to save them from themselves? So how did you do? How many of those questions did you nod yes to? Like many things in life, codependency traits are on a dimension. There's clearly a difference between a person who tries really hard to cheer up their colleague or friend, which is kind of like a low-level codependent behavior, and a spouse who alters their life completely to support the dysfunction of their partner who is in the throes of a substance use disorder in the hopes of saving them. That would be a high-level codependent behavior. The more statements you agreed with from the ones I read, the more likely it is that you're trapped in a codependent pattern that might be harmful to you and the people you're in relationships with. If you said yes to at least a few of those statements, you're not alone. Although the exact prevalence of codependency in the population is difficult to capture, it's estimated that rates are higher among certain populations. As I mentioned earlier, it is likely that 90% of the population exhibits some level of codependent behavior. A study by Crestor and Lombardo found that nearly half of surveyed college students displayed middle or high-level codependent characteristics. Specifically, codependency may also be more common among people who have experienced early life trauma, are in a close relationship with somebody with a substance use disorder or a chronic illness, or have certain personality traits that make them susceptible to codependent behaviors, like scoring high on anxiety, perfectionism, high need for approval by others, feeling over-responsible for others' pain and suffering, and being an empath. Once people recognize that they have some codependent traits, they often begin to wonder, where do these codependent tendencies come from? Why are some people more susceptible to codependency in their adult relationships? What causes it? And why is it so hard to break free from codependent relationships? For most people, codependent behaviors do have their origin in childhood. It's a pattern that can be passed between generations. Reflect for a moment if any of what I'm about to explain applies to your upbringing. Codependent behavior is learned by watching and imitating other family members who display this type of behavior. In these unhealthy family dynamics, one or more family members suffer from fear, anger, pain, or shame, or some other type of negative emotion that is ignored or denied. 
In some extreme circumstances, there are instances of abuse that make children feel like they're not important, that they're less than, and that they deserve bad things to happen to them because they're inherently bad, unworthy, incapable, or unlovable. As children have a more self-centered way of looking at the world and trying to make sense of it, they may erroneously attribute the problems to themselves, thinking that they are the cause of other people's unhappiness. Children with codependent parents may believe that their self-worth is tied to pleasing their parent. They might have an anxious attachment to their parent, which perpetuates a cycle of codependency. In these families, they don't really talk about these patterns or even recognize that they're happening. As a result, family members begin to repress and hide their own emotions and disregard their own needs. They begin to tie their self-worth to what they do for others rather than just being. When they encounter difficult feelings as adults, they take the lessons they learned as children and deny, ignore, or avoid dealing with them. They detach themselves from their feelings and focus on anything but, and that can include trying to solve other people's problems instead of addressing their own. Sometimes in these families, there's also a scapegoat, This is the person who has problems that are so important or so significant that everyone has to put their energy into helping them. And by doing so, the other family members don't have to deal with their own conflicts, some of them with one another, because they're focused on the person who is struggling. Some of the signs of dysfunctional family dynamics that can lead to the development of codependency include families who have chaotic and unpredictable interactions, families who are unsupportive, families that may be emotionally or physically neglectful, families that manipulate, blame, or are overly harsh, families who shame the other family members, family members who deny that somebody in the family has problems and refuse getting outside help, families who shroud all of their problems and discussions in secrecy, families that are judgmental, inattentive, or have unrealistic expectations for their children, like expecting kids to be perfect or that their kids should be doing things beyond what's developmentally appropriate, like parentifying kids with their adult problems. Over time, this pattern creates a negative cycle where they begin to de-emphasize their sense of self and their own needs and rely on taking care of others as a means to self-esteem. When people from these dynamics feel bad, They make themselves feel better through self-sacrifice and acting as a martyr. If left unaddressed, they can lose contact with who they are and what they really want outside of caretaking others. Some of you might think, it feels good to be needed and embraced for being a great helper. What's the real harm in codependency? Well, again, as we've been saying, this is on a spectrum. If you're on the lower end of the spectrum, that's probably okay. But if you're on the higher end of the codependency spectrum, these behaviors can cause you to lose your identity, self-worth, confidence. You start losing trust in your intuition. You start to lose your emotional and physical health. You start to suffer in other relationships. And you also start to not respect yourself. Some of the hopes and dreams that things can be better in the future seem thwarted like they're so far away. You end up in a vicious cycle and reconfirm your own negative beliefs that nothing will change. You end up in a self-sabotaging pattern of self-fulfilling prophecy. 
So if some of this sounds like you, what can you do to have healthier relationships? I'm tackling all of your questions today to deal with codependency in your life. And at the end of this episode, I will discuss five action steps you can take to have healthy and loving boundaries with all the important people in your life. And at the same time, develop and sustain a strong sense of self and an inner confidence that isn't easily shaken. Let's start talking about solutions by tackling some of your questions about codependency. I got so many interesting and relatable ones, and I can't wait to chat about them. Let's check in with my fab team, producer Stephanie and sound engineer Jackson. Hey guys. Hey, Dr. Judy. Hey, Dr. Judy. Hi. So do you guys have a personal story about codependency? Maybe one you've been in or one you've witnessed in a family member or a friend? I was thinking about when I was young, like in my twenties and I was dating and how much of the time my happiness was linked to how I was being treated by the other person. If they were in a good mood, if they wanted to see me, if they wanted to do things and I felt good. And if they didn't want to, or they were rejecting or they were busy, I took it really personally. And it took me a while to kind of work through that and realize it's a really tough way to live. <laughs> how you feel on how somebody else behaves all the time. Oh yeah. It can be really exhausting after a while and it kind of creates resentment too. Thanks for sharing that, Stephanie. What about you, Jackson? Yes, a hundred percent. And I think, I mean, I'm in my twenties now. And so I've gone through that in my early twenties, just like the same exact thing where your relationship is kind of who you are. But I think with the pandemic and having to sit alone a lot, that has kind of shifted my thought process for the better, which is kind of a weird thing to say to come out of that. But growing up, I was also and still am kind of an empath. So I was always the therapist of a friend group. I would always people would come to me with their problems and almost demand like, hey, can you help me with these stuff? And I'm like, okay. And so I kind of sacrificed myself for them a lot of the time. Wow. I so relate to both of your experiences. Thanks for sharing that too, Jackson, because I recall that when I was in high school, people would say things like, you should be a therapist. You're so good at this, right? And so it's kind of interesting because you learn that that is one way you can serve others. As you mentioned, Jackson, I find myself to be an empath too. I think Stephanie is as well because she's also a helping professional and a therapist. And so, you know, we all have these tendencies and then you kind of feel good that you're helping someone else. And so some of that is probably a positive thing, but then sometimes you might lose yourself in trying to help someone. And just like Stephanie, I certainly recall at least one relationship in my twenties where, you know, this person came from a really broken family and I really wanted to help him see that love is possible, that he can trust women. And I remember that I spent a lot of time in our relationship, constantly listening to his problems. He never asked about how I was doing. Uh, and it really became clear to me that I wasn't getting anything out of this relationship after a few months. But, you know, in the first few months, I was really dedicated to trying to help him see the light. And eventually you have to understand that you're not solely responsible for someone else's happiness. But I remember that I would be thinking about all these different ways to help affirm him and to help him with his self-esteem. And at the end of the day, People have to do their own work and you have to disentangle yourself from that. So I, I love the way you say that it's all like on a continuum or, or a spectrum because it's, it is. And some of those behaviors are, are very like helpful and healthy. And then you've got to be able to recognize when you've ticked and you're in a pattern that isn't serving you or the other person. 
Yes. And I think that if you're kind of caught up in the cycle where you're constantly doing that helping behavior, maybe it's hard to see where that line is. And that's why I really like what Jackson said about how being in the pandemic, you kind of have a minute to take a step back and then you say, okay, well, what is healthy helping? And then what is maybe I'm doing a little too much and now I'm not even taking care of myself. So again, like you said, all on a continuum, this is exactly what it is. We're not trying to pathologize anybody who might be somewhat codependent. And as I mentioned before, this is part of our common humanity and everybody is a little bit codependent sometimes because we care about other people and that's a good thing. But if you have struggles with codependency, what do we do about it? And here we are at the questions. I think some of these are so great. I really enjoyed reading about them. So Stephanie, what's the first question? So the first question is from Dom from Instagram. And I'm, I love this question because this is really what I was just speaking to. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So Dom asks, how do I know if I'm being codependent or just really in love and enjoying my time with my partner? I feel like some of the codependency traits apply to me, but some of them also sound like how people behave when they're really in love. Such a great question. And I think if you really do adore and love the other person, oftentimes people will say, my partner is my best friend. My partner is my everything. And that's not necessarily codependent. That's just how they feel because their partner is one of the most important people in their life. I think some of the signs that you're veering towards codependency is one, that you feel like you can't do anything without the other person, or at least you can enjoy yourself without the other person. Um, I think that that's a sign, you know, because when you really love somebody, clearly you'll miss them when you're away, but you can still have fun. You can still be mindful with other people and you can still enjoy those experiences. But if you find that whenever you're away from your partner, you literally can't even have a good time or you feel guilty about being away from them, then that might be more veering towards a codependent pattern rather than a really loving pattern. Another sign is if you feel like if you don't touch base with your partner very constantly, that you wonder how they're thinking or feeling about you. Now, if people are having busy days, sometimes you don't talk to your partner, maybe the whole day until you get to talk to them in the evening or maybe even the next day. People who are not in codependent relationships, they can sort of hold on to this idea of object permanence that, you know, that person obviously still loves me. They're just having a busy day. It doesn't mean anything that they haven't texted me or called me today. People who are more codependent, they'll start wondering, does something shift? I wonder if they spoke to somebody at work and they're trying to talk them down from being more serious with me. And they start to find themselves being a bit more obsessed about what their partner might be thinking and reading into essentially the absence of their partner's presence and contact. So that's another sign. And then I would say a third sign is if you feel like your moods are constantly being affected by your partners in a very significant way. Now, if you're in love with somebody, you clearly care if they're happy or not, but you also are able to separate that from who you are and your own happiness and your feelings that day. And so you might be sad for your partner that they're having a bad day, but you still are able to go about your own activities and still feel good about your day while in the back of your mind thinking about how you might want to help your partner feel a little better tonight when you see them, make them feel special, talk to them about what they're going through. But people who are more codependent, their moods match their partners exactly at all times. So if their partner is mad, they're feeling angry. Their partner's really sad. They're really sad too. And there's essentially no divide or difference between their two emotional experiences. So I hope that those things are helpful. Don, I have a feeling that hopefully you're more in a healthy, happy, loving relationship than a codependent one. But if you find any of those signs apply to you, then definitely listen to the rest of this episode because we're going to help you with that. Jackson, what's the next question? 
Great. So the next question comes from Fatima from Facebook. They say, I come from a family where we never talk about our feelings, good or bad. Now that I'm pursuing a master's degree in psychology, I've tried to get my parents to open up and they just shoot me down. Is this a fruitless effort or should I get my parents to understand how healthy emotional communication really works? <laughs> I love this question. And I think that oftentimes when people uh, get into a helping profession, they start to learn all kinds of things about their family dynamics. And sometimes it's helpful. It gives them insight. And other times they think, oh no, I came from a very dysfunctional family dynamic. But we also have to understand that there's obviously gradients and certain families are raised with certain cultural values about the importance of emotions and how to express them. And it may not mean that your parents are trying to actively dismiss your emotions. It's just that that's not how they grew up and they really never had that education. Of course, the complicating factor is you're their child. And even as an adult, there's still that parental versus child dynamic. And now the child is trying to come around and teach them a lesson about how life is supposed to work. And I think that that can probably cause some needless conflict. So my advice is if you recognize that this is happening in your family, the best thing that you can do is try to model the behaviors that you like without judging the behaviors that they are putting on you. You may never be able to change your parents, your family members, or another person. That's basically the resounding lesson today, guys. That's why codependency isn't great because you can't fundamentally change another human being. They have to want to change too. So if your parents are not really open to these discussions, the best thing that you can do is model the behaviors that you like to exhibit. And even if they don't do it back, go ahead and just Try your best to be authentic in your expression of your emotions. So here's an example. Maybe when you were a child, you weren't able to even say that you felt negatively. Your parents would shut it down and say, don't say that. Don't say you feel sad. Well, one thing that you can do starting now is if you are feeling sad, frustrated, angry, say that out loud. Hey, I'm having a bad day today. I'm feeling frustrated. And if your parents try to shut that down and say, well, don't feel frustrated. Everything's going great. Or, well, don't dwell on those negative emotions. They don't do you any good. All you do is say a statement back that affirms how you feel and just say, well, this is how I feel today. And I believe it's okay to feel the way I feel. And essentially you don't need to lecture them any further. Just essentially stand by your own actions on how to still communicate healthy feelings. And if they choose not to engage that with you, fine, but just make sure that you make your point and you move on. Over time, what I've seen in families that I've worked with is that they start to be much more accepting of it. So even if they don't start to do those behaviors on their own, the child is finding that they don't have to remind their parents so much that, hey, I'm okay with the fact that I'm having a negative feeling today. They kind of say it, the parents will acknowledge it, and they'll move on. And I think that that is probably a great way forward to try to make some headway in this area. Good luck. Great. Okay. So the next question is from Liz from Instagram. Liz says, I'm constantly attracted to fixer uppers. I find myself making excuses for their bad behaviors and holding out for when they'll be a better partner, pull their weight and love me back. Clearly I'm not getting what I want from these relationships. So why do I keep going back to the same kind of guy over and over again? Oh, Liz, this is such a relatable, <laughs> such a relatable question, Liz. My goodness. Well, first of all, I think that people being attracted to fixer-uppers, I mean, I, I really can't even think about a friend of mine that hasn't had this experience. 
And as Stephanie and I both shared, we've had that experience in our 20s. And so I think it comes from a place of love and care. You really do want to help somebody else. It makes you feel good to be able to change someone's life for the better. But if you find yourself in this pattern, you can't break free from it, then there must be something deeper that is causing you to be attracted to people that you have to fix. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the signs of codependency is that you you try to be everything for this other person. And in essence, you get to kind of ignore some of the things that might be going on in your own life. And also when you do feel like you've been successful with somebody like this, it sort of improves your own self-esteem and your self-concept. You feel good about yourself that you were able to make these positive changes. And if they stick, then you feel even better. Unfortunately, I've literally never heard of anybody having that experience. Um, usually they might have a temporary improvement and they see the fruits of their efforts in some small way, but then sooner or later, the person who you're trying to fix goes back to their old ways. And then you're back to square one and think about what that does to your self-esteem. When you're back to square one, they feel like they've lost all of their momentum and their positive outcomes, and you have to start the process all over again. So I believe that you're constantly attracted to fixer uppers because you're going to these experiences as a way to improve your own self-esteem. So the goal is to first recognize that that's what's happening and then start to shift how you actually reaffirm yourself. How do you feel good about yourself without having to fix somebody else? Can you date somebody who is on equal footing with you, who might have some of their flaws, but their flaws that, you know, you may not love, but you'll accept. And that both of you guys can be your own individuals, have your own self-concept, know who you are. And in this way, you can actually be a little bit more self-focused on your own care and self-development. That's really important. I think that sometimes people are attracted to fixer-uppers because they're ignoring some of their own needs, some of the things that they really want to address in themselves. And so I would ask you, Liz, to take a look at what's going on behind all of that, because clearly I know you're a helper and that's a great thing, but maybe there's something deeper, like you're hoping that these people will make you feel better about yourself. When you fix them, finally, then you can say, I won, I did something great. And that actually makes you feel good about yourself and you become addicted in some ways to that feeling. So take a deeper look, try to take a break, really reassess before you choose the next person to date and ask yourself some of these questions that we've been talking about throughout this episode. And I hope you have a healthier relationship next. Jackson, what's our next question? That was, that was so good. I was, I was just, <laughs> cause I also totally relate to Liz and I just like that advice was so good. Um, so Yay. Larissa from Twitter says, I derive a lot of joy from helping others. I am in a helping profession and my role in my family is to be the problem solver. Is this really so bad? And how do I know if this is codependency or not? Well, Larissa, great question. And I get you. I derive a lot of joy from helping others too. And my role in my family is also the problem solver. That's not, it's not the worst thing, but it's codependency. If you believe that your family's emotional health is completely dependent on you. Now it's totally awesome. If you want to pitch in more, you obviously have specialty knowledge. You're in the helping profession. This is your area, but you should never be treating your family. That is the first thing I learned in grad school that you should never, ever be getting into a place where you're actually treating a family member, a friend, a colleague. That's not your role. Your 
your role can be to be supportive, to provide education, to give them some options on how to move forward, and to encourage them to keep moving forward. But you should not be the end all and say all for everything. So it's not codependency if you offer advice, offer support, offer to point them in the right direction, check in with them, but know that it's not your job 100%. So I think that that's the main thing that you have to think about, that it is not your job only, that there's plenty of other people to pitch in, including the individual themselves, a person who's suffering and needs help. So I think it's fine as long as you realize that you are not the only problem solver, that you are just one of the problem solvers, and that your family member's happiness is not ultimately dependent on your behaviors. Stephanie, what's the next question? So the next question is from Abigail from Instagram. Abigail says, my father struggled with alcoholism for many years, and I grew up watching my mom in a codependent relationship with him. I'm now in a relationship with someone who also struggles with addiction, but I don't want to leave him in the throes of his struggles. How can I stop repeating the patterns I saw as a child in my own relationship now? And can I have a healthy relationship with someone who has an addiction? Such a complex question, but also such a common one. I think a lot of people who find themselves on the more severe forms of codependent behaviors will say that they witnessed some of these unhealthy patterns when they were growing up. And particularly if one person in the family was struggling with substance use disorders or maybe a chronic illness. And it happens because you observe the family members struggling with it. You observe how people stay together through some of these experiences. And sometimes you might think, well, it is really important that I stay loyal, stay grounded, stay committed to this person, no matter what happens. But every relationship has breaking points and every relationship has red flag behaviors where the person says this is zero tolerance and I just can't do it anymore. So to answer your last question about whether or not you can have a healthy relationship with someone who has addiction, you can, if the person wants to help themselves. Now we know with addiction, it's difficult and people will have relapses. And that's something to be expected to some degree because relapses are common. Eventually the person will probably be able to sustain their sobriety, but especially in the beginning stages where they're starting to try to be sober, they're going to have a couple of slip ups. So as long as they're trying their best and you have expectations that a slip up can happen and you have a plan on how to support them when that happens, it's possible to have a healthy relationship with someone who has addiction. But if the person who has the addiction problem doesn't want to help themselves and has come to rely on you to solve all their problems, then you probably can't have a healthy relationship with them. And the reason is you've been saving them from their own problems all the time. They literally have not had the opportunities to develop their own coping strategies and to essentially figure out, is this something that I want? Do I actually want sobriety? Do I actually want a better life? So you have to ask yourself that question first. And of course, understand that from your partner's point of view as well. In terms of not repeating the patterns that you saw as a child in your own relationship, I would imagine that when you watched your mom in a codependent relationship with your father who struggled with alcoholism, you probably saw how much she was upset, sad, frustrated, all of these different emotions, but you probably also picked up on the fact that she stuck with him and somehow you feel like that's an aspirational value to hold to. It's only aspirational Again, if the person actually wants help and is able to demonstrate independent behaviors, if they're not able to do that at all for themselves, you are going to repeat the pattern that you saw. 
And because you love the person, it's going to be really hard for you to draw the line when you see them struggling. So in order to stop repeating the pattern, you have to ask yourself and your partner, where are we really on this issue? Are you willing to get help? And to stop the patterns, enlist other people's support, whether it's bringing in friends, colleagues, a helping professional, a pastor from your church, whatever the case may be, stop taking everything up yourself. Cause that is the key issue of codependent individuals that they try to do everything themselves. So start leaning on your community to get that help and make sure that you're not taking it all on yourself. And you will start the process of breaking that generational pattern of codependency. What's the next question? Great. So the next question I think is really good. And it kind of goes off of Abigail's question, but from a different parental perspective, Teresa from Instagram says, I have struggled with codependency in my relationships. I am worried I might be transferring that programming to my kids. I don't want to raise codependent children. What should I do to make sure I raise them to be independent and strong? (laughs) This is such a great question. You know, I have a great story about, um, a codependent relationship that I saw when I was dining out with my husband, we were having dinner and this, uh, I'll say couple next to us because it was really kind of odd. Um, there was a lot of really funny boundary like behaviors that was concerning to me. Um, the woman was much older than the young man and there was a lot of almost romantic gesturing and it was kind of odd because I was pretty sure that she was his mom. And eventually they started striking up a conversation with my husband and I, and of course we were talking and then it was revealed that she is his mom. But then she says, you know, my son is my best friend. I do everything with my son. And, you know, he was there kind of laughing. I couldn't really tell how comfortable he was with that idea, but she said that over and over again. And remember, my husband and I are strangers to these individuals. So I've definitely saw some signs of codependency there. And I think that that codependency can definitely transfer to your children in terms of expectations for their other relationships. So I think it's really important to think about boundaries as parents and how to teach that to your children. I know that parents, you want your children to love you, to adore you, but at some point you can't be their best friend. You are their parent, And so you have to sort of keep that different, uh, set aside, um, as something that of course I want my child to love me and care about me, but I shouldn't expect them to somehow be my best friend because that denotes more of like a peer relationship. And that's not the one that you have. And so I think the first thing that you can do is model what it is to be a good parent, model what it is to talk about your emotions openly, to not shun certain emotions and say, no, that emotion's not okay. And if you have any uncomfortability in yourself that you notice when your child says things that are upsetting to you, expresses negative emotions, definitely take a moment, take a deep breath and check that at the door before you say something back. Because Oftentimes parents don't realize that they can be really dismissive of their children's negative emotions with something that they say offhand. Maybe they're a little distracted. They're preparing dinner at the same time. And they just say something like, well, why would you be sad? You have a great life. When we say something like that, it's akin to a type of positive toxicity. It's like 
you always have to be happy all the time. And because your life is blessed and wonderful, you can't ever have a bad emotion. And so I think it's just important to kind of keep an eye on those types of things. Are you allowing the space for your children to fully express themselves, even if you don't agree with it? Can you also be vulnerable with your children and say, Hey, mommy's having a tough time too. I'm trying to keep things together, but it is a hard day for me. Can you say that without repercussion and without having to over explain yourself to your children? And finally, can you hold that boundary that after all, you are still the parent. And sometimes you're going to have to discipline your children. You're going to have to teach them what's right and what's wrong. And they're not going to be in love with you all the time. Those are the types of ways that I think would be best to try to tell your children how to operate in this world without codependency behaviors. Great. All right. So Yasmin from Instagram says, I think I'm in a codependent relationship, but I'm the taker. I feel like I don't trust myself and I have to run everything by my partner. When I'm left alone too long, I feel really uncomfortable and even scared. When I don't get enough attention from my partner, I sometimes think about trying to get that attention elsewhere by flirting with others. How do I stop these behaviors? I want my relationship to work. Well, first of all, Yasmin, thank you for that question and for your vulnerability and your insight that essentially you're on the other spectrum of a codependent relationship. And sometimes people who tend to be takers in codependent relationships, they also might have some traits that in the DSM, in the diagnostic manual for psychologists and psychiatrists, that they might have some traits associated with dependent personality. And this is somebody who gets really anxious if they have to make decisions on their own, if they have to be alone for too long, essentially they have some issues with self-confidence and it makes it harder for them to operate independently and feel confident about that. And as I'm listening to your question and what you're sharing about yourself, it makes a lot of sense that maybe there is a struggle with self-esteem that's buried in there because you don't totally trust yourself. And if you're left alone for too long, you start getting anxious. And if you don't get enough attention from your partner, you think about acting out to try to get attention from someone else so that you can still feel better about yourself. So this to me is really just a sign that you need to focus in more on your self-confidence and your self-esteem. And the best way to do that is to start developing other passions, other interests, and other friendships outside of your partner so that you don't tie up your identity and your confidence all based on your romantic relationship. The more that you actually develop yourself through hobbies and doing other things with other people and nurturing your other relationships, some of them are probably not as threatening as your romantic relationship. Like you're really afraid to lose this romantic relationship. But if you maybe experiment with more independent behaviors with other lesser um, significant relationships, like casual friendships and colleague friendships, then that's a way for you to start practicing what it's like to be in a give and take relationship. And the more you do those things, of course, the byproduct is that your partner will find you more interesting, um, more exciting to be around because you're going to be able to share all different types of things about your life. And if you're not exhibiting some of those more clingy behaviors, most partners really like that. They want to know that their partners are not only with them because they need them, but that they're with them because they want to be with them because it's a choice. And so I would say, start there, start thinking about how you can develop who you are outside of your romantic relationship, gain confidence in that way by expanding your own world in terms of what 
validates your identity. And I think your relationship is going to flourish. Supercharged tips. Wow, guys, so many great questions from you, and I hope that you have found this helpful. And now it's time for my supercharged tips of the day. Today, it's all about how to heal from codependency. And here are my top five supercharged tips so that you can make progress on this important endeavor today. The first tip is to untangle your self-concept from others and get to know and love yourself. If you've been caught in the codependency web, you probably have had a hard time really knowing your own interests, your own needs, acknowledging them and getting them met. So this is the time to peel back those layers, get to know yourself, date yourself, ask yourself what your interests are, what are the things that gets you excited, take yourself out on a date, ask your friends, what are some of the things that you enjoy or like about me? You know, really get into a mode where you're more self-focused because as a codependent person, you probably haven't been focusing on yourself very much. And if you don't accept and love yourself, how can other people accept and love you? So you need to untangle your self-concept from what you do for others, spend some time getting to know yourself and accepting and loving all of the different parts of yourself, flaws, warts, and all. And once people actually do this work, it's really great because that level of self-compassion really drives how they approach everything in life. People who have codependency issues sometimes realize that they have compassion for everybody but themselves. And that's why that self-work is so important. The second tip is before saying yes, know the whys of your behaviors. Now, if you're prone to codependency, you're going to be somebody who basically says yes to everything, maybe because it feels automatic, maybe because you feel guilty if you don't say yes, and maybe because you really want to help. But eventually you get overloaded and you get burnt out and you start to resent the fact that you're always that person who is in the helper position. So before saying yes to something, take a deep breath and ask yourself, why am I saying yes? And if any of the answers of the why has to do with because it feels like I should say yes, because I would feel bad if I didn't say yes, because I don't want to have to explain myself if I said no, if any of your whys have to do with that type of thought, don't say yes, because it's not going to work and it's just going to produce resentment in the long run. Here's how you know if you should say yes. If that request actually aligns with your own values, how you want to live your life, what's actually important to you. If saying yes is going to maybe cause you a little bit of inconvenience, but not take away a huge chunk of your life. And if saying yes is actually going to be a positive thing for the relationship. And by positive, I don't mean you doing everything for the person. I mean, this is going to build trust and rapport between the two of us, that this is going to be a give and take situation where that positivity flows both ways. Those are great reasons to say yes. The third tip is to understand your worth without doing and stop taking everything so personally. People who have codependent patterns take things personally. When somebody's upset, they think it's their fault. They think it's up to them to fix it. Stop 
thinking that your self-worth is tied to everything that you do. All human beings have worth and it has nothing to do with your accomplishments. So start praising yourself just for being you, not because of what you've accomplished, but praise yourself for process, praise yourself for effort, praise yourself for the fact that you're a living human being that is able to function in this world and that you have things, interesting things to pursue, but it's not about the outcome. It's not about what goals did you reach? And now that's why I feel good about myself. When you can understand that your self-worth can come from all of these other things, it will definitely reduce your proclivity towards codependent behaviors. The fourth tip is to practice identifying, expressing, and validating your own feelings and trusting your instinct. Now, when people have been in codependent behaviors for a long time, they actually stop expressing and validating their own emotions. So start saying them out loud. Even if there's nobody around, say it to yourself, start to become more aware of your thought processes, your feelings, and every few hours during the day, just kind of do a little mental check-in. How am I feeling today? How am I doing today? Get ready to write those down in a journal, or like I said, recite it out loud, make them real and make this a habit. It's a really good habit. The self-awareness habit in terms of curbing codependent behaviors. Also, oftentimes people who have been in codependent patterns for a long time, stop trusting their own instincts. That's because they haven't checked in with themselves in a while. Now, instinct is actually something that comes from science. It's not just the feeling. The feeling is based on experiences, but they're not always able to be put in words. And that's because the part of your brain that focuses on things like instinct is the part of the brain that's not actually controlling verbal behaviors. And so you might not be able to speak it in a sentence, but sometimes you'll know if something feels right or feels wrong. So get ready to check in with yourself. And once you have an instinct, follow it. And the more you practice honing in on your instinct, the better you will become at actually trusting it. And my last tip is to reshift your thinking on boundaries and model a healthy relationship with your inner child. I think that sometimes when we really love somebody, we think that we should be everything for that person, but actually start to reshift your thinking on boundaries because if you really love somebody, boundaries are so important to the success of that relationship. So you have to know what's okay and what's not and know that some boundaries are probably not permeable. There are certain things probably that are zero tolerance behaviors for you if they come from a partner, a friend, a colleague, a family member. So once you identify those, stand strong on them and don't shift them. And oftentimes because codependent behaviors come from childhood experiences, model a healthy relationship with your inner child. I love inner child work. Things like visualization, paying attention to your inner child, trying to give your inner child what it needed when it was a child and maybe didn't get enough of. That is such a great way to rewrite a script, particularly a script where your childhood was lacking in something important, where maybe you felt neglected, ignored, or even abused. But it's not too late to take care of your inner child as an adult. And if you're interested on my Instagram, I have several IGTV visualizations that work on inner child development. And if you Google it, you'll find a lot of resources on helping to nurture your inner child too. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. Remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends, and take a moment to leave a review. That'll mean so much to me. And today, I want to shout out a review from C. Page. And she says, Dr. Judy Ho slash Wonder Woman. That's so sweet. Dr. Judy Ho is a gal in the room everyone wants to be friends with, smart but never intimidating. She asks great questions and truly participates and engages with the interviews. If I could give her podcast six stars instead of the limit of five, I would. Worth a listen. That is so wonderful. Thank you so, so much for that encouragement. And if you leave a review for me, I will try to shout you out on a future episode. I'm Dr. Judy, and remember, any time is a great time to supercharge your life. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical, psychological, or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.